If you just follow it naturally, it moves to the Eno River. And there it is. That's the Eno. Do you see it? Okay, so the lines aren't roads, but they act like roads. And they act like roads because if you follow them, you'll see they don't go over water. And that's the giveaway. That's the giveaway. Ah! Don't you get it? It's not a puzzle. It's a map. It's a map of Hawkins. Everybody, I'm Rima, and I'm Sean, and this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Stranger Things. Today, we'll be covering the fifth episode from season two, titled Chapter Five: Dig Dug. But before we dig into our top five and our discussion of this episode, we'd like to take a moment and just talk about our sponsor this week, um, Freshly. So you've tried all the meal kits out there, right? 30 minutes turn into 60, and all of a sudden you realize you're actually paying to do all the work. I've done it, but that ended for me this week after I tried Freshly. Freshly is a healthy, chef-cooked meal service that delivers fresh dinners right to your door. They're fully cooked, so all you have to do is heat them up in three minutes. Freshly is a weekly prepared meal service that delivers fresh, all-natural meals. No more worrying about what's for dinner, no shopping, no chopping, no cleanup. Try Freshly today and get $40 off your first two weeks. It's Freshly's best offer ever. It's only valid for a limited time. So just go to Freshly.com to save $40 on your first two weeks of deliveries and enter code STRANGE at checkout. Shipping is always free. Oh, thanks, Freshly. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Freshly. Yeah, love those Freshly meals. Okay. Are we ready to jump into our top five? This was such a good episode. Yeah, let's do it. This was a pretty exciting episode. A lot of yeah, stuff there was happening. 
a lot of stuff. I mean, I have like my top five, I've got maybe six, and then like a bunch of notes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm really excited to get started. So I'm going to go first this week, and I'm going to start with my number five, although these are in no particular order, even though they are numbered. Um, <laughs> the first, first thing that I'd like to just kind of go over is um, the emotions in in this episode there there was a lot of emotion like there was a lot of action but there was also a lot of emotion um in this episode and and really great acting with that emotion like i really like it really made me feel like i i felt like i was right there and i i was able to either feel the same thing um as, as some of these characters or um you know i could just really you know, I felt for them. Like the first, like in the beginning we have, you know, Will is recapping to Mike what it was like for him um, and what it was like with that shadow monster and how he's, you know, like kind of like how he's trying to relate, you know, that all that feeling uh, to Mike. And I mean, his arm, you know, they're sitting on the edge of his bed and his arm is visibly shaking. Yeah. His voice was shaking. When Tears he- were coming he was kind of like uh, stepping his foot, like kept bouncing it up and down. It kind of made his whole arm shake. I definitely noticed that as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, he had the tears coming down his face. He was sweaty. Um, and I mean, you could just, you could feel it in his voice and, and, and the way that he was talking. And I just thought, gosh, you know, I know we talked, you know, in the last episode about how great um, Noah Schnapp is doing, um, you know, in the with this character and how it really is like the season of Will, I think is what the Duffer Brothers kind of referred to it before. Um, in one of their interviews, and I, I really, uh, I'm feeling that. I mean, he is just, he's doing so fantastic, and he's really getting some of that um, that we missed from him uh, last last season. So there was that moment that I just thought, you know, this, I could really feel it. It wasn't just, a, I mean, I don't know, I felt like I was really in the moment. There was another moment when Elle, you know, when she finally got to see her mother in person for the first time, and, you know, when they kind of had that moment together, when their eyes locked, I felt, you know, that was a huge, huge moment. The emotion from um, Elle's aunt, is it Becky? Aunt Becky? Uh, I don't I'm remember sorry. what it is. We'll go with Aunt Becky. Yeah, we'll, we'll call her Aunt Becky. I'm probably wrong because I'm really bad with names. I'm so much better with faces. <laughs> um, but I thought that was really, you know, really a great emotional moment. She, you know, she was telling Eleven, you know, that she can stay with her when she was um, showing her you know, the bedroom that her mother had made up for her and how it stayed the same all these years. I thought that was a really beautiful and touching moment. And one of my other last moments that I thought was really kind of telling and I thought really emotional was um, at the end whenever Hopper and Bob found, or sorry, not Hopper, but Bob and Joyce found Hopper and they, they sprung him free. And did you notice how, like, she's like, all over him like Joyce is all over Hopper yeah like, I was halfway oh expecting okay? like to have like this passionate makeout scene in front of Bob I know and like Bob he's just like standing behind Hopper yeah. almost feeling like he's the third wheel <laughs> <laughs> hey Jim hey Bob yeah hey you know how you doing <laughs> you know? I thought oh my gosh are we gonna get something from that is this kind of telling you know so there was a lot of emotion you know rejoicing um and, and like, sca- you know, scared, Will was scared as he was, you know, talking to Mike about, you know, the shadow monster being kind of inside him and how he can, like, feel and see. And he was scared, you know, by, you know, if the shadow monster can spy on him, you know, so you had that. Uh, the, the reunion moment, 
um, that emotional moment with, with Eleven and her aunt and her mother. And then when Joyce and Hopper were reunited, I thought that was um, kind of a telling moment. So there was just a lot of emotion. There was a lot of action, I think, on one side, but then there was a lot of emotion, and that was my top five. Because I love the emotional side of these things, too. That's what I love about this show is that it, it's not just you know thrilling and has a few scary moments, and it's adventurous and it's mysterious, but there's also some deep, touching moments that really – get to me and i love that that's a good point yeah uh, it just seems like you said like each group had their own exciting moments and just you know, even look at like nancy and jonathan like there's kind of like an unspoken love emotion going between them mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you caught like as they're sitting there she said something along the lines of like i waited i couldn't quite yeah. get what that meant so you know she like saying oh well i waited for you to come be my knight in shiny armor and it's like well no you had steve um, so kind of like uh, like the betrayal and things like that, just kind of feeding into that emotional f- stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I didn't think of that. I think I, I think I definitely got them in here, but I guess I didn't add them to to my number five as far as emotions. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that she meant by that, you know, the, yeah, you're right. They had that beautiful moment like where their hands are like touching, and you can see they're talking about the scars mm-hmm. on their hands from the the first season when they were using their blood to draw the demigorgon in se- in season one. And uh, so that was that was a, a beautiful moment. I think that she was telling him because after all of that had happened, she had waited for him because they, they obviously connected and I think had some moments in the season that like, Oh my, we like each other, you know? Yeah. There's Steve, but you know, we, we like each other. And I think that she was, she was waiting for him to step up and, you know, are you going to fight for me? That's how I took it. Like she was waiting for him to step up. Now, granted, she didn't do anything either. So, (laughs) you know, she didn't, you know, step up herself and go to him. That's you a know, very typical was... like high school relationship. It's like, oh well, you know, when we're in the playground, I punched you in the arm and ran back to my friends. Like, didn't you know that means <laughs> I like you? Yep. Yeah, I think yeah, that's very very telling. And they are in high school. They are they are. You, you have to keep thinking that that these are still kids. The um, bit. Yeah, they're. I think she was waiting for him to step up, but you can't really, you know blame him i mean he's kind of been ostracized all throughout school and he's not exactly you know the cool kid and she was dating steve so you know how would you know how would he know that he's expected to you know but i get what she was i see it from both sides it's a bummer well i mean they're alone in a hotel room now so it's hard to tell what's gonna happen oh lordy Do they even do that now? I mean, that's something I think that you could do in that time that you just kind of got to look, you know, that, that desk lady who, who checked him into the, the hotel was like, you know, just kind of looking at him like, you know, you want a single or do you want a double? Yeah. And uh, today she still, it's got to be on a credit card. It. You got to be 18. Like, it's not easy to get a hotel room these days. No, no, Although, it's not. I'm sure that probably the place <laughs> and probably the places you can get a hotel, like just for cash, you probably don't want to stay in. Rent it by the hour. <laughs> well, you know, and. High school, it's by the minutes. <laughs> well, that leads into my number five, and that is the great relationship status that we got in this episode. So we're sitting mm-hmm. with Lucas because right now Lucas has like the mad crush on Max, right? Like he wants to be with her and like wants to be like he wants to definitely be friends. And I think he wants to be more him and Dustin both. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they've had this like little spat. And so he's trying to figure out, I was like, okay, well, what do I need to do to make this better? 
So, you know, what do you do? You're sitting there for breakfast with your dad and you just bring it up. It's like, dad, how do you like when mom's mad at you? Like, what do you do to make it better? And this is just like great dad. Like, this is like, you know, (laughs) stereotypical husband talk. It's like, well, first I apologize and then I get her whatever she wants. And, you know, Lucas not missing a beat says, well, what if she's wrong? Pulls the paper down, son, your mom is never wrong. <laughs> well, they say happy wife, happy life. Is that the is that the thing? That is exactly right, Sean. It sounds like you've been well trained yourself. <laughs> you uh, got yeah, some years of marriage so. under your belt, so <laughs> uh and you know, he char- you know, he he takes that advice and he, you know, gives Max what she wants. He tells her everything that's going on. And, you know, I feel bad for him at this point because she basically shuts him down and laughs like, oh, this is a funny joke. And I couldn't quite tell if she actually believed him at the end because he kind of put his hand over her mouth like and she mm-hmm. sensed his fear maybe. But it yeah. still seemed a little, I don't know, it just seemed like I could I could definitely not buy into that, as, you know, at that age and somebody giving you this grandiose story and being like, oh, yeah, sure, there's demigorgons and there's a government conspiracy, yada, yada, yada. Right, uh-huh. And the moon landing was fake too, huh? Is that what you're going to tell me next? I know that. I mean, you can't really blame her. It is kind of a far fetched kind of story. Well, and it's interesting too. So we've been trying to figure out what's Max and Billy's story. Like, what what are their whole thing? What is their whole thing? Yeah. And you'd think if she had something supernatural or something crazy, like she would buy into that right away, or at least she'd have some kind of like fear, like mm-hmm. oh, like I I need to get away from you, or maybe she's just a great actor, and in the and you know Max is a great actor, and she's just trying to play it off. Because yeah. as she leaves, you know, when her uh, brother, stepbrother pulls up, you know, she tells Lucas, like, don't follow me out. And she kind of holds his hand, like, basically the same thing like he did, you know, with the hand over mouth, hand, you know, grabbing the hand. It's like, I'm serious here. Don't follow me out. Yeah. You can uh, really see that in her face. And see, so the, the other kind of things with the relationship status. So Steve the D, you know, <laughs> he sucks it up, too, and takes some great relationship advice. You know, he stops by must- <laughs> Go I think ahead. he talked to Lucas's dad. Yeah, he sat with Lucas's dad. He's like, hey, Mr. <laughs> Lucas's dad. So, like, how, like, when your wife's mad at you, what do you do to make it better? I apologize. <laughs> what if you're not, what if she's the one that's wrong? Listen, son, she's never wrong. Because yeah. I love, he shows up with flowers and he's walking up to the door and he's like, you know, he's, he's practicing, you know, very high school, like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. He's like, what do I have to be sorry for? But he still keeps marching right to that front door. That's right. Roses in tow. Uh, yeah. Flowers is one of those things. It's a small little thing, but sometimes it just makes the world a difference. It can. Depends on, on what was done, I guess. But, yeah, my number five is just kind of tying into the whole relationship advice we get from Lucas's dad. I really love that, and that's, um, I'll just speak a little bit about that. That's also my number two, is I love we're really getting a peek into the other families this season, because oh, yeah. last season it was all Mike and Will's family, mm-hmm. which was great, because, you know, they're they're pretty awesome, and I, you know, we got to spend some time with Mike, um, Mike's family, Karen and Ted, um, and of course Nancy, and, you know, had her own adventures and, and played a, a part in the show a lot as well. So we got we we but we spent mostly with them like we never saw Dustin's parents um and and didn't know like what they were like and we didn't get to see a peek into Lucas's family. Now we're getting both and I mean aren't we thrilled because Dustin's mom is amazing. I just yes. <laughs> I mean 
she's fantastic I and like i really it, love lucas's it's family it's funny because i kind of feel like dustin's raising her just as much as she's raising him definitely i think you definitely get a sense of that in this episode that's for sure very good point um she yeah she i think she's fantastic i i she is certainly exactly who i would have pictured you know as we get to see more and more of her this is obviously not her first episode in the season but you know as we see more and more it's exactly who i was kind of picturing as, you know as dustin's mom lucas's family you know it's like they seem pretty normal um i love his little sister his sister is uh, sassy Oh, she is sassy and spunky, and she ain't taking no crap for no one. I mean, she told <laughs> Dustin off. <laughs> well, how about code <laughs> shut your mouth? <laughs> I know. And you know, she's in Lucas's room, which you yeah. know, <laughs> as a sibling. You talk yeah. about you have a sister, and I'm pretty sure that as you guys were around those ages, y'all's rooms were probably off limits to each other, right? Oh, yeah, but you snuck into the room when they weren't there. But you went, yeah, so Lucas is gone, you know, they were having breakfast and Lucas leaves, you know, after breakfast and that's when Dustin's, you know, trying to get a hold of him later on after he's already left and, and she's up in his room. You can tell, you know, you can't see too many details in the back, but you can tell it's a boy's room versus girl's room and, and she's got his He-Man, oh, his yeah. He-Man action figures and I mean, that, I feel that's a no-no. I did, I grew up an only child for like a really long time, so I did not have to share my stuff, which is cool. But I feel like I understood from my friends and my other family members, cousins and such that were brothers and sisters that I kind of understood the whole sibling thing. And I, and I, it really made me glad I was an only child, um, <laughs> as far as not having to share toys or, or worry about a sibling sneaking into my room playing with my stuff. Cause I didn't want anybody to touch my stuff. You weren't allowed to touch my stuff. <laughs> so I really love his little sister. She is sassy and spunky. I hope that we get, uh, more of her cause she's absolutely adorable. But, um, yeah, I think I think he went into that pretty good. Was Luke's family, his dad? That was just great. Well, and it's uh, cool. His, like his parents. You see this every now and then, some TV shows. But like with this, it's you know, there's this craziness going on with the government, conspiracy theories all over the place. You know, monsters all over. And then we just get this nice little breakfast moment that you would see just in like a sitcom, or you know, like yeah. a, it was like a real life conversation. Because I mean, if you're sitting there with your kid and you know you're just kind of talking with them, and their your kid asking that, like, of course you're be like, oh well, son, she's never wrong. You know, yeah. like, you know, he doesn't mean it. It's just kind of a playful thing that, you know, it's a dad joke. It's like what I would say if my son comes up and is like, Dad, what do you do if mom's wrong? It's like, oh, especially, especially if she's present. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really cool with. Yeah, like you said, with all the craziness happening in the show. And, you know, you know, you've got the upside down happening. You've got all the stuff with Eleven and, and, and Will and all of this stuff happening and all this craziness. And you're right. It's kind of refreshing to have this just normal moment. Dad's reading the paper. Mom's, you know, trying to get the kids fed breakfast and, you know, just having that little discussion. It was it seems so normal and uh, in very 80s. I loved it. It was great. Awesome. Do you have anything else you want to say about that? Uh, I think that kind of covers my number five. So what do you have for your uh, number four? Number four. What do I have for number four? So, of course, I can't go any episode without talking about Hopper. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, so uh, David Harbour. I just love him. I hope he listens to this one day and calls me. <laughs> I don't know. So Hopper. Is he married? Do you know if he's married or not? You know, I don't know. I'm going to – I don't think I care. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm just saying bad. Rima no. Harbor has a nice a nice ring to it. It kind of does. <laughs> not not too much goes with my with my name, but that I think fits. Hmm. And, you know, he's – never mind. I'm not going to say anything about age. But, um, yeah, so 
Hopper, a.k.a. Indiana Jones. Yes, I had that written down. That hat is Indy's hat. Isn't it, though? Ugh, so fantastic. So, I don't know. I feel, I mean, I love, love, love Hopper. I And anybody that has listened to this podcast for more than two minutes um, knows that. Uh, that... But I feel he doesn't always make some of the best decisions. I mean, we know he has flaws. He's not the perfect man, but I, I accept him faults and all. Um, but he has some faults. I'm like, this man needs backup. W- was this really the smartest thing? Well, the problem is his backup is Huey and Dewey. Like, he brings them along, know. and they're, you know, they're going to be stuck there like, hey, boss fell in a hole. What do we do? I know. Uh, let's, I know. Uh, let's wait up here for a bit. Yeah, and that's it's definitely a valid point. And I was thinking of that. I thought, who who can this? I mean, he needs backup. He needs somebody. It is is completely, I think, reckless to be jumping down there, knowing, you know, or at least he, what I mean. He's been in the upside down. So when he jumps down there and he sees, you know, this like same similar environment, and he's thinking, oh shit, um, and he he has to kind of know a little bit about what he's in. And obviously it's not a good thing. He's, you know, he experienced it before, knows it is not the greatest place to be. And especially, I don't think, alone. And he has like no, you know, he doesn't really have like a lot of um, like ammo or guns or any kind of like defense or anything. And he's not in any kind of a suit. He's exposed. Uh, so I'm just like, oh, Hopper, you do not make the best decisions. You know, he's kind of like Rick Grimes on The Walking Dead sometimes. Does <laughs> not, not make the best decisions. So I... You know, he's he's down there walking around, and he turns around, and this this thing, like, up on the, like, ceiling wall kind of thing, I'm and I'm not going to say what it looked like, because it's, it's not a nice thing to say, but it, this thing opened up and, like, sprayed something in his face. Yeah, it's like a little, like, defense mechanism for the upside down. Yeah, and, and it's... It's like, so it, it, it incapacitated him. It gave him blurry vision, and it seemed like it almost like it was, you know, making him weak. And he, you know, he looks up and he can see that the hole that he came through is starting to close up. So, uh-oh, um, he's trying to find another way out. And he, he's, he's just so good. I love how he comes up with these little ideas, but he starts to use cigarettes as a cookie trail. Mm-hmm. That, was gr- that, was, that was a great idea. Wasn't that great? And I thought I thought whenever he 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 pulled one out of the pack, I thought he was going to smoke it. I'm like, really, Hopper? It's... <laughs> That's what I thought too. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is what what we're worried about. You need a cigarette break. Well, this um, is going down all this too, because this leads into kind of my number one, which was tunnels. Is this is very much like a Dungeons and Dragon like uh, ca- uh, dungeon crawl? Yeah. So like the the things that spit out to him, like those were a trap. Like he set a trap and it got him. And then there's the part where he comes to the two. Uh, the two, basically the fork in the road, like left uh-huh. or right. And whenever we always played, we always said, you know, left is death, so you always go right. And what direction did he go? He took a hard left. Is that is that a thing? Left is death? Is that a dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons thing? Or is that just something that I, sh- I should know about? That's that's what we always said in the, the group I played with. So I, I assume it's probably probably is like a D&D thing. Damn it. That just sounds cooler and cooler every time I hear more and more about this game. <laughs> I've got to find a group of people to play with. <laughs> I'm going to be a total nerd, <laughs> even more so than what I am now. Um, that's awesome. Okay, I had no idea. I had no idea that, okay, that. well, that makes sense. Yeah, you uh, think about that next time you're driving. So I was like, should we go left or right? And just like, well, no. left is death, so let's go left. right. <laughs> well, you know, and the only thing I ever related it to was righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> 
doing when I'm like tightening up the, you know, a screw or something, you know, righty tighty, lefty loosey. Um, now I'm going to know left is death. Oh my goodness. That's going to, that's going to change my life for the good or for the bad. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you know, he's still, he's wandering around. We're seeing all kinds of, of, of horrible, horrible things. Did you see that pile of like, what, what it looked like dead animals and bones? Yeah. Uh-huh. What, what, what? Is there something down there? I mean, we well, saw like the demigorgon in the first season was like chomping on stuff. Well, I wonder if like as this up the upside down spreading, like it's you know it's opening up pockets and like you know animals and things are falling through because you saw oh. the vines like chasing Hopper. Like this thing is a living thing. Like yeah, it's not just living and breathing. You know, it's yeah because you see him chasing Hopper, and I'm surprised when they knocked him down, it didn't try to like encompass him in that stuff. Then like it seemed like yeah. they waited a little bit late, but. Maybe it had to weaken him or something like that, but yeah, it seems like it's like opening up, letting things fall in, and then like grabbing it like they did Hopper, and then just slowly eating it, devouring it. Ugh, that that's like horrifying. I have you know I've got like this claustrophobic thing, and and I just like having something like that wrap around you like that, and just like completely just take you over. And you're you're he's obviously in a weakened state. He seems like because he's like kind of stumbling around a little bit, whatever it was that stuff that sprayed him. And it seems like because I saw in the background it, it kind of showed him, you know, as he's looking around like trying to figure out a, a way out. And he's already been sprayed by whatever that thing was up in the wall or ceiling, wherever it was um, at an angle. Uh, you could see one right behind him was like spraying again. It didn't mm -hmm. necessarily get on him, but it's like it, it's like it's polluting the air. And, yeah, and maybe yeah. that's what is part of what keeps that whole environment toxic. You know, oh, yeah, good they, point. Yeah. Well, I, know I mean, I don't know. That, that thing over his face. So it was kind of starting to help him after he had passed out the first time because he kind of cut his patch off. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it seemed like that again running around, setting off the traps, and the upside down is trying to Ugh. make you part of it. One that, of that us. Was... One of us. <laughs> Come on in. Um, yeah, super creepy. Uh, very, just a horrifying feeling. I really felt uh, like he was really in danger. I, I, I feel like sometimes you, you feel comfort in the fact that nothing's going to happen to some of your favorite characters, but I really felt... Uh, that he was in some danger, and it, I didn't feel good about it at all. Um, and he definitely had um, that whole Indiana Jones vibe going. I loved how because it, like he had like the just just like the whole outfit. He had like this the thing over his face, but then he had it around his neck, and then had his hat. I mean, it was just totally when he had I his like shirt kind of ripped open, like Indy had. I kinda know showing off that Harrison Ford muscular chest. Yeah, Hopper doesn't quite have that, but I still love him anyway. Oh, if you look at him now, he does. Like he does three. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he got pumped for uh, to do um, Hellboy. Yeah, he he had a hell of a workout. I heard about that. Kind of side note, guys. Sorry, but yeah, I heard. I didn't get to see his whole <laughs> regimen or anything, but he. I heard. You know, and then and then what made it even more amazing is, you know, he's he's a little he's not like overweight, really. but He's a big guy. He's like tall and he's a little beefy. And I think he got a little bit more beefy for season two. If you look at him in season one, look at him in season two. He's slightly more beefy in season two. And then he had to lose all of that and totally get buffed uh, for Hellboy. He is ripped. Check it out, ladies. You'll thank me later. <laughs> Stranger anyway, Things three. <laughs> Hopper fucks up the under or the upside down. <laughs> He's going back for revenge. <laughs> He's gonna take it down. But that's my number four. Is just Hopper, his whole uh, adventure 
in quotes in, in down and upside down. And, and I think, and that just brings something else to the point. The name of the episode was dig dug and was Hopper dig dug. Uh, is that what that's, that's referencing in the town? Cause I know I asked you before last week, whenever we knew the episode title for this one that we were going to do is um, titled dig dug. And that's the old arcade game where uh, I don't know what this thing is. I don't know the history. I played the game, but I don't know the history of it. This, this thing is digging in the dirt and it's making these tunnels. Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he'd probably be the dig dug at that point. Yeah. I wonder if that's because I, I, well that, and I think the video game at the arcade that that's the game that Mad Max wanted to play. And the the Cheeto Cheeto guy told her that it was that the motherboard blew. Yeah. So I feel like it kind of referenced a couple things: Hopper down in the tunnels, uh, in, digging in the dirt, and the game that Mad Max wouldn't play. Why she wouldn't play it now? Look, Dig Dug was fun, but that was not like Galaga was right there. <laughs> well, she and, had to get. She's probably like trying to get Mad Max to the top of all the games. That's just like okay, I'll save this last one, this one for last. Did you do that too? I didn't get to play at the arcades much. Oh, because I did. And that was my goal, was to have my name at the top of as many games as possible. It's did, really did, weird that you say that. <laughs> did you ever have number one on a game? Or like, how, which games did you get number one on? Like Miss Pac-Man and Frogger Galaga a couple times, but that one was hard to hold because it never failed that I would come back the next week because I only got to go like once a week. It wasn't like real close to my house and it was next to the movie theater. So whenever, like either before or after, usually after the movies, whenever I was waiting for my mom to come pick me up, I would walk over to the arcade and play for a little bit and never failed. I go over there and somebody knock my ass down to like three or four. Oh, sons of bitches. I know. At least it, uh, at least it didn't like clear it. It feels like the arcade I had whenever I went back, if I had any high score, it'd always be cleared. So like, I'd be like, wait, I had more points than that last time, but I don't know if they shut them down all the time or what they did, but never seemed mm-hmm. to keep the scores. Yeah, it kind of depended. I mean, sometimes they were cleared, but sometimes I'd see it knocked down and well, game on. Got to get it back up there. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, that was my number four. What have you got for your number four? All right, so my number four, I've kind of titled Super Spy. So, we've got a couple spies in this episode. Mm-hmm. We've got Will, which his spying isn't as fun. It's kind of a little bit more scary because he's kind of, uh, like, he's an actual, like, infiltrated spy. You know, the shadow monster's mm-hmm. inside him. He knows it, but the shadow monster doesn't know it, I guess. Kind of when he's discussing it with uh, with Mike, it's like, hey, listen, you know, the shadow monster doesn't know. It's like you're a spy, and, you know, there is, there's legitimate concern. It's like, well, what happens if it finds out that I'm spying on him? But the two people I want to talk about, we tried to figure out what they were doing in last week's episode, and we talked yeah. a little bit about the hotel, but it was Nancy and Jonathan. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, you know, we see them show up at a hotel because they've gone out of town. They're going to meet somebody, do something. And as they're sitting in the bed, you know, they get the double beds, so they're not sharing one. <laughs> and uh, Nancy throws out the line. I think it was in the trailer, too. She's like, it's weird, you know. It's We only hang out when the world's about to end. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, you can cut this sexual tension with a knife. <laughs> yeah, you could. <laughs> You know, they, you know, they hold out their hands, they're touching their hands a little bit. And we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but like, it was kind of weird when she was, uh, you know, saying that she waited for him. I didn't quite understand that, but we get to the, uh, gist of what they're doing out here and they are meeting, I guess you can call him the conspiracy guy. It's Maury Bowman. Maury Bowman. So they show up at this guy's place. I think once they showed up there and it looked heavily fortified, I kind of understood what was going on. 
But mm-hmm. this dude's like, at first when we first saw him and knew he was, it seemed like he was taking advantage of uh, uh, Barb's um, family. Yeah. But this dude's like either legit wacko or he's like, he knows some stuff because he's got a heavily fortified home. You know, he's making them look into the camera. When they show up, he uh, says, hey, look in the camera. And when he opens it, he knows who they are. And I don't think he's ever talked to him. I think this is the I first was... time he's talked to him. Yeah, I was, I was like, okay, wait a minute. And I was like trying to go back to other episodes like does he but i guess with all of his investigating i mean obviously he's gonna know who nancy is because barb and nancy were best friends um and i guess if he spent some time investigating i mean okay it's hawkins it's not that big of a town we all know everybody knows everybody and, and if you spend any you know more than five minutes there investigating you know you're gonna know who these people are you're gonna know who the players are in the game so at first I thought it was really creepy, but then it started to kind of make sense after that, after I kind of thought about it in that way. So, but it was yeah, creepy. For them to go as far as they did, like he's not really part of the town. It seems like right. he drives in every now and then and, you know, bugs Hopper about his news, you know, theory about aliens and then mm-hmm. leaves. So to know like these high school kids by name, he, you know, I mean, if it, if he wasn't a weirdo, like he seemed like a weirdo, then it probably wouldn't be a big deal. But it seems like there's probably a couple you know, he's not the sharpest knife in the, the drawer, I guess, is the way I think of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So what else do we have with that? So, yeah. So he walks in. He's like, you know, there's like four or five doors that they have to go through. And he's got this huge, you know, conspiracy theory-esque wall with, you know, strings going all over the place. He's got a timeline on the thing. He's like, you know, I know everything about this. I just can't quite figure it out. And Nancy quickly, you know, blows it all the water. It's like, your timeline's wrong. It's like, what? Yeah, timeline's like, I wrong. Solve, I can solve this for you in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they get this whole thing. They, they play the video, or they play the tape for him. And, you know, it, it seemed, and this is what gives him a little bit more credibility, is this is like your golden goose. Like, this is what you would take to YouTube. Mm-hmm. And throw it on YouTube, throw it on the thing, and be like, listen, Hawkins facility, they're freaking, you know, conspiracy theory, like everything you ever thought is true. But this dude knows what's up. He's like, you you can't convince, you know, like you can convince me, probably convince your mom, probably convince a couple people, but you need to ca- you need to convince them with a capital T. Yeah. And that I mean you, you think about conspiracy theories today, like how many like you can look up any conspiracy theory on YouTube. I guarantee you there's videos about I have, you know, proof. And it's probably like you could look at it, it's probably like irrefutable proof too. Yeah. But are you gonna take that serious? Right. You know, and he he lays it out there, he's like, it's just too strong. It's like and he starts drinking in front of him, which was kind of weird. Like I put in here like he's drinking <laughs> with minors at this point, because he offers them a drink. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's questionable. But, <laughs> but he he discusses that, you know, what you have here is easy to bury, so we have to water it down. And Nancy's quick on the the charge here. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, we got a, you know, there's a a chemical leak. You know, it's this, it's that, it's that. And little things that would kind of lead to distrust of this facility to kind of move things in the direction of convincing the capital T, the the capital T on them. Yeah, she picked up on that really quick. But Nancy's smart. She's quick and she's, she's a smart girl. Yeah, very interesting indeed. So how do you feel about this guy? I know the first time we met him, it seemed like he's just a con artist. Do you still feel that way about him? Because I mean, he's put, it looks like he's put in a lot of work for what the um, the Barb's parents are paying. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's easy to dismiss him as a crackpot. And I'm sure that's probably what he's used to because, you know, um, and I'm certainly not going to give any kind of credibility to 
you know, conspiracy theorists or, you know, people similar to, to Murray Bowman and, and, you know, people, cause some are crackpots and some are, you know, completely, you know, just, um, out of, out of, out of the loop, I guess, with, with, with society as far as like, you know, like, oh, Bigfoot's real and, you know, things like that, which he is, <laughs> by the way, but, um, <laughs> and, you know, but I mean, you know, it's easy, I think, to dismiss him, but I think he's not as like, dumb as he he might come off i think it's easy to dismiss him like uh hopper dismissed him in the first first episode it's clear he has put a lot of work into investigating barb now he maybe wasn't right because you know as you said nancy looks at it and she's studying it and she's like your timeline's wrong well he doesn't know that he was only going off of what he investigated so that's you know you can't really fault him for that but you can clearly see all the investigative work and people he's talked to stories that he's heard you know he talks about the bear in the harrington's backyard well that's steve steve's backyard and they're talking about the demigorgon you know that whatever that thing was that attacked uh you know attacked them or that was seen out there or whatever um so he's 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 getting the stories that he's doing his job i think would be too easy to dismiss him. I thought it was really smart of him because he really, I think, understood. You could see the fear on his face and like just this sense of disbelief as he's listening to that tape playback. And it shakes him enough, you know, he's breaking out the stoli and <laughs> <laughs> it's a central nervous system depressant. You know? it's, <laughs> he needs it to think. Is this going to take long? Not if you're quiet. Exactly. I, I do I do find that hilarious. He he chooses to think with vodka and music and I'm like, dude, I can so relate to that. <laughs> You're I've, my kind of guy. I'm I've not done alone. some of my best writing when I've had a little bit of extra stuff in my coffee. Yeah. So but I, I, I don't I it did shock me that he was sitting there pouring it for Jonathan and Nancy as well. I was like, dude, not a good choice. But uh, I totally, you know, didn't mind so much that he's breaking one out for himself. Um I don't know. I think he's onto something. I think whenever he's sitting there, because he's he's diluting it and he's talking about, you know, we water it down and he's talking about watering down the story, like he's watering down the vodka to make it um, more um, appealing or making it more, what, I can't think of the word that he used, but, um, you know, making it more palatable. And I thought, well, that's that's pretty smart. This guy isn't just a crock pot. He's kind of, he's able to really connect those dots and him and Nancy, I thought working together was pretty cool. Jonathan's just kind of, you know, like a tennis match, you know, kind of watching all this going on. I thought, I don't know. I think there might be something to it. I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm, I'm not so sure. What do you think about their plan? Do you think it's going to work? I, think I don't know. A, it's very interesting because like I said, like most TV shows and stuff like that, it, you know, it seems, it just gives it validity because like I think most TV shows would try to take this thing and that would be, you know, that would be the gotcha. That'd be the, you know, season or series finale episodes. Like, we got you on tape, you bastards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's very realistic. Like, you can't, like, think about, like, it seems like X-Files might have done stuff like this, but it's like aliens. Like, you couldn't just tell, like, everybody in the world's like, oh, aliens are real. Like, you have to slowly, like, you know, was it um, a person's uh, logical people are dumb or something like that? I've heard of saying something like that. Like, you know, individual people yeah. are fine. A group of but people. The group. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, that's when you get the issues of, you know, people going crazy and. Yeah. You're exactly right. And it's just, it's blind following too. I mean, like at this point, like somebody's like, oh my God, there's this big conspiracy. There's this new, uh, there's this different dimension. Like people's brains couldn't take that. It's like, listen, I got to freaking go to work tomorrow. I got these bills. 
my wife wasn't wrong for the third week in a row. <laughs> I'm just tired. Like, can we just, you know, can we just turn on Family Feud and, you know, call it an early night? Well, you'd have it like, you know, Max, how she reacted to Lucas. Yeah. You know, he's he's yeah, built no, his yeah. So, and, and she's like, I think it's a great story. And he's like, what? It's not a story. It's real. And she's like, what? You know, you're crazy. So, you know, I mean... Of course you can't. I mean, he made perfect sense. You can't just release that story as is. You can't release that tape as is. You have to make it, you have to kind of bring it down a little bit. You have to make it relatable. You have to make it real. Um, and and I think that was smart. I don't know that it will work. I'm interested to see what, what happens next. But uh, I think that they were definitely right. You, you're right. You can't just bust out and go, you know, I was abducted by aliens, uh, you know, or something like that. You have to... You have to kind of ease people into it a little mm-hmm. bit and make it more believable instead of these unbelievable tales of, you know, this other dimension and creatures and the the phenomenon. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, that was my number four. It's just kind of the super spies we have going on in this episode. Super cool. Well, my number three was Jonathan and Nancy, and I think that we've pretty much covered most of that. I don't think that we... I'm looking at my notes. I really don't see anything else that we need to cover. And we covered a lot about their interaction at the hotel, at the, at that motel, which I thought was really interesting. And then there, um, we, you know, I, I am glad that we finally got to see what their plan was because they were there for like at least two episodes. It's like, what the hell are they up to? You know, they got rodeo shack and you know, yeah. they, they have <laughs> something mysterious in the bag. And then, you know, they're calling Barb's parents and then, then last episode, you know, they go to the park, they get themselves captured, they get Dr. Owens on tape. So, and then we're kind of like, okay, but what are you going to do with it already? What the hell is going on? It's like, I just kept going, I want to see what happens. So now I'm happy that we finally got to see what happened. Um, but I think that we covered that pretty well. So that that's my number three. What's your number three? All right. My number three, um, I guess the best way to kind of put this is R.I.P. Mew Mew. Oh, uh, <laughs> So we we get to see, you know, we talked a little bit about, but Dustin's on the phone. It's a fake phone call. You know, we're hearing the old dial. And I don't know how many kids even know what that is. Uh, yes. So kids, if you're, if you're younger than probably, what, 24, 25 years of age, back in the day, a lot of people had phones in their houses, and they were connected to the wall. And if you had the phone off the hook for a while, you'd hear this dial tone. Do, and, do, 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 do. Yeah. The number you're trying to reach is not available. And so, you know, Dustin pulls the phone up. He's faking the phone call, gets his mom out of the house, and he decides he's got to get Dart out of the house and into the cellar. And he uses, uh, I guess this is probably, you know, a good good opportunity for Oscar Myers to promote their bologna. It's like (laughs) the the lunch meat preferred by Demigorgons, baby Demigorgons. By Demigorgons everywhere. (laughs) My bologna has a first name. (laughs) (laughs) And he works his way down, and it's you know it, it, he's got this hockey gear on, so like he's pumped, and he's scared too. He's like, "All right, dark time for lunch." Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> and you know it's it's kind of cute in the sense that like so we see Dark come down, he's just chomping away, and he seems a little bit more friendly than when we saw him munching on Mew Mew. Yeah, and you know, baloney and cat. Very different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's cute <laughs> when he's eating the Three Musketeers and the bologna, but when he's munching on the cat, that's... Yeah. Uh, he, he loses that cute cuteness appeal very yeah. quickly. And he leads him outside. And one thing I thought, I don't know if it's, it seemed kind of inconsistent, but as Dart's coming outside when it's sunny, it didn't seem to bother him. 
Yeah, I wondered about that. That kind of threw me off. I don't know if it was just because like they, they're shooting the scene, so it's kind of a disbelief type thing, or if there's actually something mm-hmm. to it. Right. But Dart, you know, doesn't go in the cellar. Seems like he knows like something's up, and he kind of like screams towards where uh, Dustin's hiding. And Dustin's like, all right, you know, Leroy Jenkins <laughs> bust out of the door. And, you know, like I'm expecting when that happens, like to Dart to go like full, you know, caged animal. Dart was scared. He was. Dart turned around <laughs> like, holy shit, what's Jason doing here? Yeah. It's hockey and mask. <laughs> Dustin chases him and knocks him into the cellar. And as he does it, he closes the things like, I'm sorry, but you ate my cat. Best line ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. I didn't know how to feel about that whole thing. That whole scene and and sequence of events. Oh, you you described it perfectly, though. You you are spot on. I loved that he faked the phone call. It sounded like he called... And this was, as as Sean was describing for everyone who's too young to remember, uh, he was on what we used to call a landline. <laughs> and there used to be a landline, and you didn't have uh, this thing. It was called call waiting. It kind of exists on phones now when you are on the phone and you see someone beeping in and you can switch back. There, there, that didn't exist yet. If someone tried to call you, you got a busy signal. You couldn't get through. We're going to probably talk a little bit about that later. Um but yeah, it sounded like there used to be, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, Sean, there used to be like this, um, like an information line, but it wasn't necessarily information. It was like to get the weather and the time. It sounded like that's maybe what he called. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah. Because you could hear something in the background, and I had like some some noise, and I couldn't hear everything as I was sitting there rewatching it. But it sounded like it wasn't just, it went to that weird, busy tone. Uh, but it sounded like there was a voice, and it sounded like it was like telling the weather or the time or something. So he was definitely smart enough to do that. And um, so he's, yeah, he's faking, you know, this phone call to try and get his mother out of the house. He's so smart, and he knows he's got to get his mom out of the house. There ain't no way he's going to be able to get dark. I don't know how in the world he kept him contained in his, in, I mean, was he was he eating Mew Mew the whole time? Yeah, Is that how he kept him content? I- because he's he, he's noisy. Dart is noisy. He screeches and oh, he's loud yeah. and he doesn't want to be contained. How in the world was he able to keep him quiet and 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 happy to you know long enough to get his mom out of the house? Did he just let him munch? Yeah, I don't think you can chomp on a cat like eat a cat whole and make it quiet. Like that's that's a good point. Like maybe she was so distraught and crying that she just didn't realize what was going on. I don't want to think about it. It's gross and it's awful and I hate thinking about the loss of Mew Mew. Um, but it, but you know what? It's no worse than, I don't know, people who have pets. If you have cats that are outside, if you have dogs, they get rabbits, they get squirrels, they get birds, and they bring them home. I mean, is, is, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to kind of be devil's advocate a little bit for Dart. Is he really any worse than when, you're, when your dog or cat goes after an animal like that? I don't know. It's really bad. I feel bad for Mew Mew. I don't want to come off bad for saying that, but <laughs> I felt really bad for Dart <laughs> whenever, you know, Dustin comes charging. He was so adorable all up in his hockey gear, and he's, like, kind of hobbling because of that padding is so thick, and he's hobbling to the shed outside and draws Dart out, and he scares the hell out of Dart. You're right. He comes charging out of that shed, and whack! 
with that hockey stick. I felt so bad for Dart. You could tell it hurt the hell out of him. And he falls into the uh, into the um, storm shelter, which, if no one knows what that is here in the Midwest, uh, we have tornadoes. And <laughs> we have to have um, storm shelters for that. So, anyway... Um, yeah, I thought that whole sequence was great. I couldn't help but feel just a little sympathy towards Dart. Uh, I know he's a demigorgon. I know he's bad, but I, I couldn't help but feel a little bit bad for him. So that was just my number three is kind of R.I.P. Mew Mew. Poor Mew Mew. <laughs> oh, I guess the bad thing, too, is that, like, Dustin's mom thinks she's out there somewhere. I know. What's he going to do? Uh, that's always kind of the worst, too, I think, when you lose a pet, like, whenever they're gone. Because I've had pets that have left. This is yeah. kind of to our personal side. I've had a, a dog that was gone for like two weeks and then just showed back up. Oh, I've had that happen like multiple times. Like it's exciting. Like it's good that that happens, but it's like, you know, you kind of get over the morning of it and then they show up and you're kind of like, oh my God, yes, you're back. You son of a bitch. I was so sad. I know. <laughs> so side, another side tangent since we can do that because this is our show. Yes, we can. Uh, so I started dating my wife uh, like five or six years ago. And they had a dog that was starting to go blind, starting to go deaf, had to have, like, shots because it had diabetes. And when I showed up, her mom's like, yeah. Like, it was her first dog she had, like, when she was, like, 15. So it's been around for, like, 12 years or so. And as I show up the first time, me, it's like, oh, you'll be careful. Like, he's, you know, pretty skittish, yada, yada, yada. And him and I get along perfectly. Like, him and I get along fine. Um, But, like, when I first met him, she's like, yeah, we don't think he's going to be around much longer. Like, he just, he's pretty old, but, like, we can't, like, he's he's doing fine. He's eating. You know, we got to give him these shots. But, you know, we don't want to put him down because, you know, he's doing fine. Yeah. And so when I first met the dog, I'm like, okay, well, I'm sorry, bud, but you may not be around that long. And that dog is still around to this day. <gasps> You're kidding. And yeah, he's and he's getting worse and worse, but he just keeps trucking along. Aww. And to show that, like, we always, you know, we're both big Walking Dead fans. We're like, this is the dog that's going to survive the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so one night, this dog snuck out. Like, again, it's blind. It's deaf. It <gasps> can only run on, like, three legs. Like, it runs, like, one of them has to get picked up. Oh. And uh, they live in the country, so there's coyotes. The dog got out at night. They couldn't find it. They searched all night. They searched all morning. You know, uh, we were on our way back from a trip, and you know, Tiff's mom called her, and she was upset. Cause, like, it's her dog, and understandable. Of course. And after her mom calls, is like, yeah, you know, we've looked all over. Um, it's like we're just we're gonna go to town because you know we're you know we just we just got to get away from the house for a bit. And as they're driving up the road to go on the highway to get to town, what comes walking out of the woods? <gasps> Their dog. Oh my goodness! And so Tiff's mom like jumps out of the car before it stops, runs up to him, and uh, he I think he growled just a little bit, and then when he sniffed and saw it was her, just kind of fell down on the ground, and she picked it up, carried it back home. <laughs> and he's doing fine to this day now, still you know put together by you know God's will, I guess. But <laughs> oh my gosh, that poor dog! Yeah. That's he's... amazing. He's a survivor. Yeah, that's a dog that's gonna like. And her, uh, my father-in-law, they get along okay, too, but he's just kind of like, man, that dog is just a pain in my rear. <laughs> he's always <laughs> like, that dog's going to outlive me. <laughs> he might. Oh, what kind of dog? Uh, it's like a mix. It's kind of like a, a, a Doshkin, I think it is, like uh-huh. a Greyhound Doshkin. It's kind of mixed with some other stuff, but it's like kind of small, like, like 30-ish pounds, maybe. Oh, sweet baby. <laughs> 
Oh, that's a great story. Sorry, that... kind of a side tangent, but kind of ties into Mew Mew. Like, you, you want to find your animals if they go missing. We're, yeah, we, we love our animals. I, you know, I, 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 I would have totally been uh, crying myself to pieces. I have two dogs, and I've had dogs and animals uh, from the time that I can remember since I could stand up practically. So I'm a huge animal lover. And if it had been one of my pets, I'd be going out of my mind as well. So I totally get it. I'm just, you know, how in the world is Dustin going to cover this up? You saw him <laughs> in his room scrubbing the carpet. Yes. I mean, it's awful. Is he going to eventually fess up? Are we just going to, poor Mew Mew has just disappeared and never to be found, you know, like Barb or, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe he'll, uh, he'll be like, oh, mom, look, Mew Mew is going through some changes. Here is, and we're going to call him dark now. Yeah, it looks a little bit different. Um, he's had a shock to the system. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how Dustin. He's he. We've seen he's very resourceful and he's very smart. So I'm interested to see what he comes up with. Um, if we see a resolution to the the mystery, or at least we know what happened to him, but how he's going to uh, come out the other side. So pretty good, pretty good. Okay, so are we ready for my number two? Is that what yep. we're ready for? What's your number do two? Number two deuce deuces we actually covered my number two pretty well you were just hitting them you were on fire and you pretty much covered a lot of my stuff already my number two was lucas's family and i don't really have a whole lot more to say about that i think it was super fun and i loved it but i don't have anything else to add so we'll just get to your number two what have you got uh my number two is kind of short and sweet because they we've talked about it a little bit uh but this kind of uh, i think you know, says what this what the facility knows, and it's basically the facility. So mm-hmm. you know, they're they've gotten their samples from this spot that Hopper's at, and they're testing it. And the doctor comes and looks at it, and you and I both talked like they know what's going on. Yeah, there's no way that they know that th- that they don't know that this is happening. But they're testing the soil, and it's like, well, you know, there's you know some pesticides in it, which is you know understandable. It's farm ground, but then they start to light it on fire, and the dirt starts to do like a tornado type swirl. And not only that dirt, but the dirt all around starts to do it. That's from the ground. And instantly, you know, the doctor, like we've, you find out just in his facial expression, he has no clue that this is spreading. Uh And so then they like basically code red, you know, code shut your face, (laughs) red alert. We are going to wherever the hell hopper set is and we need to contain this. And so it's, you know, we see them get down there and they rescue, they rescue Hopper and the, uh, uh, Nancy, not Nancy, I'm sorry, Joyce and Bob. Mm-hmm. So them finding this out definitely saved Hopper's life probably in their lives. Yeah. But this facility's on red alert. Like they know something is not like they know something screwed up and, you know, they've got to contain this. Yeah. That, that look on, on Dr. Owen's face that she mentioned was definitely the shit has just hit the fan face for sure. Yeah, and the main reason I want to throw that into my number numbers is just because of the fact that it's like we know we now know that they this is out that they and they don't have it contained like they think. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I I know that they were being completely dismissive and just trying to. I'm I'm actually shocked that they actually went ahead and ran the tests because I I think that we had talked before whenever you know Hopper's dragging them out there and he is just like you know you have to do something, you have to do something. And he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. You know, yes, we'll run our tests and we'll, we'll you know, we'll show you that everything's fine. And I'm actually shocked they went ahead and did it. Um, 
And then, yeah, when they did, it's a good thing because clearly something is, is wrong and they don't have it as contained as what they, what they think. And it's like I said before, life finds a way. Yes, if it, it can't, does. If it can't find out one way this way, it's going to find another way. And it went underground. Yeah, and I guess does that give this, uh, this new regime for the facility a little bit more credibility? Because, I mean, he did what he said he's going to do. And when he found out that something screwed up, he sent reinforcements. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a different change of pace than when Dr. Brenner was was there. I think that they really, who, whoever oversees all of this and put these people in place and Dr. Owens in place, definitely did the right thing. It seems like these people are a little bit more of a step up than than what was there before. Uh because obviously that this is this is out. Uh, I mean, nobody knows about it, but uh, you know this the upside down here is known, at least amongst you know the people behind all of this. And um, you know, so they've really I think brought out the the heavy artillery to kind of deal with it. And they thought they were dealing with it, and come to find out, they weren't doing a, such a good job. They thought they were containing it. You saw them going and doing like this maintenance all the time as they were like burning those things that kept creeping out you know, out of that gate. And it was like this weekly or daily maintenance that they were doing. And come to find out that was not, that was not enough. Well, at least they know to kill it with fire. So they they at least got one defense for them. Yeah. Yeah. But well, we saw, we saw what happened. We can talk about that here in a minute, but, um, cause that's in my notes, but, ugh, a lot of yeah, action. Just my number two is that the facilities kind of, you know, realize that they have Screwed the pooch. <laughs> Screwed the pooch. Did they ever? Good, good thoughts, good thoughts. So my number one is Mama. Let's talk about Mom. So L hitchhikes. Sunflower. Rainbow. Four fifty. Breathe. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was she is so good. I don't know this actress. I haven't looked her up on IMDB or anything to see who she is. She doesn't look Super familiar to me, uh, which doesn't really mean anything, but I, I do know lots of actors and actresses, I feel. And, and I, I, like I said, I'm good with faces, not names. So I, I'm usually pretty good at recognizing, like, I know I've seen this person in this other, like, either show or movie or something. And I can, but I, I can't recognize her face, um, which doesn't mean a whole lot. But I don't know who she is, but I thought she was fantastic. Um, I, I, oh, the whole, the whole interaction I thought was just really great. You know, Elle, you know, hitchhikes and, you know, she's disobeying again. Um, cause there she goes. Um, I, I like that interaction with her and her aunt. I don't know how much communication she had with her aunt. If it just took Elle, you know, removing the lock from the door and opening the door with her mind to convince her. Cause it, it seemed like she took it pretty well. Like, Oh, okay. You're Jane. <laughs> you know, It just seemed to be like, okay, I'll accept that. And she was okay with it and accepting of, of 11. So I really liked their, their whole interaction. And, you know, they're talking about, uh, Terry, you know, she's, her aunt is telling her, you know, she's not in any pain, trying to comfort her a little bit. Cause you can see 11 is really, and, you know, kind of distressed about her mom that she can't communicate at this point yet communicate with her. And, and she doesn't understand what's wrong with her and she can't seem to reach her. And she feels really sad. Like she doesn't feel any, I, I think in my opinion, anyway, that she doesn't feel any better off than, than before she come to find her, um, seeing that the state that she's in. And so, you know, it's like, she's telling her, it's like, she's stuck in a dream. Uh, you know, she goes and shows her the room that she was in, you know, if she was, if, if she had stayed, um, and not been, kidnapped 
uh, from from the people at the facility and from Dr. Brenner and their, their people. And, you know, you see the lights start to flicker and, you know, Eleven starts to kind of pick up on that a little bit. Like, you know, this, you know, that's not just wiring in a house like this. This is something happening is able to finally realize that her mom's trying to communicate with her when she's doing the flashing of the lights and changing the TV channels. And that blew me away because I thought, Terry's got powers too. Yeah, I kind of noticed that as well. Yeah, I, like I thought I, I thought she wasn't, um, like I thought she was just, uh, I don't want to say normal because what the hell is normal, uh, you know, but I didn't know that she had, you know, any kind of powers like, like Elle did. To me, it seemed like she had something. Uh, special about her, you know, very similar to Elle. So they communicate, they go to that place. Do we have a name for that place that they go to, that dark place where uh, they kind of meet I each other's minds? It, I kind of call it like the upside down, but it's not really the upside down. So I don't yeah, really I don't, know what you would call it. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like a meeting of the minds. You know, it's like whenever Elle would go and read someone's mind when she was still at the facility with Dr. Brenner. It was like that mind space that she went to. But anyway... She goes there and, and sees her mom, and her mom is able to communicate with her what happened. And I was so happy that we got this because I have been dying to know what happened. I mean, obviously, we got a little bit of that story, uh, but I was so thrilled that we finally got a little bit of that. And, uh, you know, we got to see Terry was pregnant. We see her in labor. We got a flash of Dr. Brenner. Um, hello, yeah, we Matthew. Did, yeah. Yeah, so we got a little bit of Dr. Brenner back, and um, you see she has Jane. She's in labor, and she she births her. Uh, they take her. Uh, you know, her sister's there, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, she's giving her the news that she lost her, which as far as she knows, that's true. Uh, she knows it's not. She, You see her opening this safe uh, to to get this gun. And she's on a mission. And what I really love about this show, there's a lot of strong moms in this show. Yeah, there are. Yeah, that's a good point. I love that so much. You know, you got Joyce and even Karen Wheeler. Yeah, Mike's mom's. she's got a little bit of a backbone. Yeah, I like her. She's she's a bit of a badass of her own, and she's a really great mom. She's definitely in tune with her kids, so I really like her. Especially when she drinks some wine. She doesn't put up with Ted's shit. (laughs) Man, me and Karen Wheeler, I'm just saying... We're we're like soul sisters here. Uh, I loved that moment, but um, she was, yeah, she was a glass or two away from that spot, being like, "Dad, get the fucking door!" <laughs> My God, it was so great. Um, so yeah, so that that aside note, there are a lot of strong moms in this show, which I really really love and appreciate, and uh, can't get enough of. So you know, she she's you hear her saying these numbers because whenever we meet her, she's she keeps repeating these same things over again: rainbow, four fifty, sunflower, breathe. Three to the right, four to the left, and you're thinking, what is what is she talking about? You know, we we know that they were telling her that her brain was pretty much mush because they of all those LSD, uh, you know, uh, trials and stuff that she, and experiments that she was a part of. So they just assumed, oh, she took too many drugs, she's fried. Um, so we got to see what that meant. The the three to the right, four to the left were was part of that combination to the gun safe when she was getting the gun. Rainbow when she you know, went and tried to find Elle at the facility. Uh, sunflower was the flower and uh, sunflowers in the hospital. Wasn't it um, at her bedside table or was it in? Yeah, it was uh, at her, like when I think she was coming out of the uh, electroshock therapy. Okay. Electroshock therapy. Okay. I was sitting there trying to think, okay, was it the hospital when she gave birth or was it when she was getting the electroshock therapy, but electroshock therapy, good grief. 
that was intense. Uh, I can't imagine that's a pleasant experience at all. I know that it's still used today at very, very, very low doses for people who suffer from depression and other ailments. And it can be, um, I think some people don't agree with it, but I think it can be, it can prove to be helpful for some people. But, um, you know, back in the day, it wasn't quite used in such a nice way. And you hear Dr. Brenner say, turn it up to 450. So that's where we get the 450. Um, and that poor woman brains just get fried and it was awful. Did you notice who the technician was that was in giving her the electroshock therapy? Uh, he looked familiar, but I'm not sure. I can't place him. He was Otis from The Walking Dead. Oh, Season was it? Season two, Otis was the one that oh, shot yeah, yeah. Carl that's on right. accident. Because uh, I think he's a guy that's been in like Supernatural and stuff too. I think that's where I was placing him. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Walking Dead spoilers. People, if you've never seen The Walking Dead, I'm sorry. I'd let a little <laughs> something slip. Just pretend you never heard that. That didn't really happen. But anyway, yeah, Otis from The Walking Dead. I thought, oh, look, there's Otis. You got a, a little glimpse of him. Uh, but how freaking horrible what this woman went through and what they did to her. And, you know, then they snap out of it and you hear again, say, Rainbow 450, Sunflower, Breathe. Three to the right, four to the left. Um, gosh, what a it was just intense and I just I loved I loved finally getting that story. Finally loved getting this story. And I felt so much sympathy for for Terry. Um having your baby ripped away from you like that and um it broke my heart. So any thoughts on that? Uh one of the things I noticed in there, so when she gets to the room with the rainbow, mm-hmm. uh it looks like Elle's playing <gasps> with another girl. Yeah, was she kind of looked familiar. Was that number eight? It kind of looked like her. Yeah, I had that, think I had that in my notes. Yeah. I mean, as I was thinking about that, I was like, maybe, but I, I'm not sure if the age was right because she didn't seem much older than 11 because 11 would be quite a bit younger. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're trying to group all these things together, I mean, it could have been those two playing together. Yeah, I yeah, you're right. I did notice that when she opens the door and says, Jane, and you see that other girl look up too. Look, bore a very striking resemblance to number eight from uh, the season one cold open. She's a little badass of her own in yeah, her own she right. Is. Yeah. Makes you see things that aren't there. Yeah, that's bad. Super cool. Yep, so that's my number one. What is your number one? Yep, and we covered my number one with the uh, um, hopper stuff with the tunnel. So <sighs> that's pretty much all I have for, for my five. Hopper. So, okay. So notes, let's go, let's go over some notes. Do you have notes? Yeah, I've got quite a few notes. So I uh, do too. my, uh, I've got ones that could have been a number was Bob the brain. Yes. So, you know, we were kind of thinking like Bob might be this spy or we're, we're always kind of like waiting for the, um, you know, <laughs> I know how jaded next, are we? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like waiting for him to be a bad guy, but he shows up with games. He shows he up and see teasers. this whole thing. Has no idea what's going on here. He's like, what? Like, is this, like, healthy? Like, is this healthy to actually do this to, to uh, uh, shit, lost it, Will. Yeah, and, you know, instantly you can see this is his mind. Like, he's like, this is probably not a good, wait a minute, what is that? That looks like Lover's Lake. That looks like this lake. That looks like that. You know, he's like, oh, it's not a, you know, a puzzle. It's a map. Crazy. And he seems so, like, tickled by it. Like, it seems yeah. like, like, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, he likes puzzles. He likes brain teasers. <laughs> I like that the first one he finds is Lover's Lake, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like him and Joyce is, you know, he definitely loves Joyce. And the first thing he sees is Lover's Lake. But he solves it and he takes him there. And he's he's kind of like the, the I don't know if you call him just not dumb, but just uh, 
oh, what were you saying before? Just kind of uh, naive, maybe? A little naive. He He's a little bit of a corn dog. He's and, just sweet. Too sweet for his own good. And so, you know, they, they you know, he's playing catch up to everything that's going on. Like, he's like, they're driving and they turn right and they come to this parking spot. And his reaction is like, what's Jim doing here? <laughs> I know. And again, like, and, you know, kudos to this guy. Like, he doesn't seem like he's scared of anything because Joyce jumps down into that hole. And I wasn't expecting to follow me. He follows right behind her. He does. Investigate. You jump, I jump, Jack. Yeah. You know, investigating this whole thing gets to, you know, Jim and, you know, they save Jim and <laughs> Jim and Nath- Joyce look like they're going to have an embrace. And, you know, the nice dude, you know, hey, Bob. Hey, Jim. What's uh, up? But again, Bob the Brain kind of coming to the rescue. So good. Uh, I feel like we get a little bit of it. I think we get teased more for next episode, but I want to see the Stephen Dustin buddy cop movie. I think I think we're going to probably get a little bit more of that next episode because we the last we saw, uh, they jumped in the car and he's like, yeah. let's go. So uh, Dustin steals the flowers and it's like, hey, she's not in there. Don't worry about it. Hey, do you got that bat still? Yes. <laughs> that famous bat from last season. It's and great. My last note is I can't not talk about, you know, Stranger Things, least favorite dad, fucking dead. We, I feel we'd be doing a disservice not only to ourselves, but to everyone else um, if we did not talk about this scene. Uh, so, you know, there's times I'm sitting watching TV or I'm reading mm-hmm. or doing something and, you know, the, the phone rings, the doorbell rings and, you know, the wife is doing something. She's like, hey, Sean, can you get up and do that? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like, you know, I just sat down or I'm just I'm into this comic. Yeah. But you get up and do it and you kind of like begrudgingly do it. You're huffing like, and puffing the whole way about it. Yeah. But when, you know, Mike's mom is on the phone, she's busy and she yells at fucking Ted. <laughs> and I'm like looking for him to shut off the TV, to turn off the radio. He's like just sitting there looking at his hand. He's not even doing anything. And he's I like, oh, gets to the door. Kids there, and he's like, "Hey, where's Mike? Hey, where's our son? He's not God. here. Where's Nance? Like, n- freaking no clue whatsoever. He's so <laughs> disconnected from but, his family." <laughs> but Dustin says, "Like, what everybody's thinking is like, oh well, you're a lot of help. You or what? You, I don't remember if you called you're him a really bitch. no help at all. You know that? <laughs> yeah. Did he call him a son of a bitch?" I don't know that he was really calling him that, but he, oh, he looked at okay. him and he goes, son of a bitch, you're really no help at all, you know that? <laughs> Just <walks> Language. <laughs> and he's he's so Ted that he doesn't even get upset, really. Just like, language. <laughs> like, you just had your son's best friend call you a son of a bitch. and Or I kind of implied, I, I felt it was kind of implied. Maybe he didn't say you are a son of a bitch, but he was like, son of a bitch. You're really no help at all. You know that. And I feel that in that moment, Dustin was all of us. Yes, he was. Uh, he was, and he was representing all of us. When you have two different dads, and so you have Lucas's dad who does like a, a fairly genuine dad joke with like, oh, well, she's never wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you have fucking Ted who his dad joke is, don't you know, my kids don't live here anymore. It's like, what well, a can, line. Can you name your kids? Can you name your kid's birthday? Like, I'm really even kind of concerned if you even live here. Do do you know how old your children are? (laughs) I think they're off to college. Yeah, that's a good point. Nancy's in a hotel room with another guy and he doesn't even know. 
I know they think that she's off at a friend's house. But um, yeah, that kind of tidies up my notes, ending on our least favorite dad, fucking Ted. Fucking Ted. I mean, I feel that the writers were speaking to you and I, Sean, <laughs> when they wrote this scene. Uh, I feel they they were writing this, listened to what we had to say about season one and fucking Ted and gave us this little gem of a scene because I feel that this sums up what we have been saying since season one. <laughs> well, I'm just waiting Ted. for, you know, season when uh, season three comes out, somebody's going to call him fucking Ted. I'm so waiting for it. I'm waiting for the fucking Ted to pop out and no disrespect to this guy because I, and I don't know the actor's name. I need to look him up because I, I feel he does such a great job at irritating the shit out of me that he deserves that credit that I feel that, you know, if he didn't have any effect on me, then he wouldn't be doing a very good job as an actor. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, the actor's doing great. I mean, yeah. it's, he's playing that absent-minded, like, not their dad. Totally not, disconnected. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's just he, a figurehead. You know, mom's going to take care of everything. He just goes to work, comes home, eats his TV dinner. I, he, he probably doesn't even try to get lucky at night. He's just like, mm, whatever. <laughs> whatever, <Karen. laughs> My penis uh, is just for show. <laughs> Well, Karen looked to me like it was hilarious. It was totally, you know, this looked to be like a Saturday to me. Like the kids, they don't have school. We don't see school. The kids are at the arcade. The kids are not in school. They're all, um, you know, like uh, Mike is at Will's house, which Will hadn't been at school anyway because he's been, in quote, sick. Um, but Mike's at, at Will's. Uh, Dustin is, you know, fighting a baby damn organ and trying to get his mom <laughs> out of the house. And... Uh, Nancy and Jonathan have skipped school already, we know, but it seems like nobody, uh, you don't see school anywhere. We see a lot of school, but we didn't see any school. So it seemed like it was like maybe a Saturday or like a Sunday. So, uh, you know, because Lucas has taken off after breakfast, his mom doesn't say, where are you going? You need to be going to school. She's just like, where are you going? And he's, you know, running off, uh, you know, to be with his friends or whatever. So it seemed like a pretty typical kind of eighties Saturday in a small town. What, what do, what, what do we moms do on a Saturday? You know, after we've done whatever we need to do, we're chatting on the phone. Go Karen has got, because she's married to fucking Ted has a glass of wine, you know, as she's sitting there on the landline, um, another reference there. And it looks like she's paying bills. Didn't it look like there was like a, one of those, um, checkbooks that are like oh, an yeah. actual book. Yeah. To me, it looked like she was writing out checks. Like I, I'm like I'm thinking, oh, she's she's paying the bills. You know, Ted is sitting there on his butt in his freaking uh, Barca lounger, in in the other room. She's doing all the household chores, so he can't even do that. You know what? What do you do, Ted? Somebody help me. What do you do? You don't you don't talk to your children. You're not engaged with your children, your family, or your wife. You don't really do anything around the house. You don't even pay the bills what's going on? I don't know. But that scene was definitely, I think, for all of us. That was a scene for the people who think of Ted as effing Ted. So F and Ted, yeah. But uh, but outstanding for the actor. I really need to look him up and see what other things he's been in or whatever because I, I don't think I would be as annoyed with him if he didn't do such a great job in that role. He really plays it really well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he didn't do well on it, we, it'd just be, that's Ted. Like, just, just, like I, don't even, I don't even know that guy's name, but exactly. we, we know who it is. We know who it is, and everybody's going to know who he is, thanks to us. What other <laughs> notes did you have? Uh, that was my final note. 
awesome. So a couple notes that I have, we talked a little bit about Steve and Dustin, what's going to come of that. I, I, I think this is a very interesting pairing, the Wonder Twins that we have so far. Uh, I want to see, I think this is a magical little thing happening, so I'm excited uh, to see what happens there. Uh, we talked already about Dustin's mom looking for Muse. You know, she's out in the front yard. Muse, Muse. You know? <laughs> I just broke my heart. Poor woman. Uh, I, I feel for you. Uh, I love my animals, too. Um, mentioning the landlines, this just cracks me up because nobody, like, the age of 25 or younger, maybe even a little bit older than that, maybe don't really know what a landline is. And nobody really has landlines anymore. Nobody understands the busy signal when Dustin tells Ted, he's like, your line has been busy for two hours. <laughs> and Ted is probably like, yep. I, and he's like, yes, I'm aware. Because I'm sure he's just as like his wife, just blah, 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 gossiping with all the other neighborhood small town moms. This is what you do. This is a small town. There's not a lot going on. This is what you do. You get on the phone on a Saturday or Sunday and you chat with your friends, you know, and uh, get caught up on the, on the local happenings and stuff. Um, so, yeah, you know, he's trying to call and the phone is busy. That was the um, I, I just I, it just cracked me up because I, I'm sure so many people are just like what what's that about you know we don't know what a land what a landline is um, so that cracked cracked me up we covered Bob the brain and his his uh, brain teasers the He Man action figures um, I did find it interesting this last season we had Joyce's house remember how she strung the Christmas lights up all over the place because that uh -huh. was her way of communicating with Will so. If you look at that, I know whenever I was looking at it from one direction, the uh, Will's drawings, and you have this, uh, we don't know it at the time, but, you know, as Bob starts to look at it and realize that it's more of a map, um, it, it kind of was like the same thing. I found a similarity there between how hmm. she has these drawings, you know, uh, pasted off the floor, the ceiling, the walls. Just from one room to another, it's all over her house, was very much reminded me of the Christmas lights. So I thought okay. that was kind of interesting that they brought that back a little bit and kind of made made you remember what that was like. Um, and then uh, something I noticed, <laughs> this is just the details that bug me because I'm a detail person and little things stick out to me and they kind of not really bug me. I won't say that this bugs me, but it just stands out to me. So this might be, and it's totally insignificant, but it kind of bugged me a little bit at the arcade when, uh, so we know the Cheeto guy, we've seen him in a couple episodes. Um, which again, I think somebody said, who eats Cheetos that works at an arcade? You get, you, you get the stuff. Don't you get the stuff all over the, the games? Don't you get like whenever you're like what the cheesy fingers when you're eating Cheetos? Oh, yeah. So he definitely shouldn't be touching any of the games. Yeah. I mean, he's there as a maintenance guy or I mean, maybe his job is like to I guess they didn't really have uh, like tickets back then, did they? Or did they have tickets back in the early 80s? I'm I'm glad that you asked me that as a as a reference there, Sean, as if I really know that. But <laughs> well, I, I'm asking as a like you know you probably <laughs> just in watched, general, right? Because you watched it, this a lot closer than I did, so I don't know if you saw right. a ticket counter, no, or something we, like that. No, in my day, I do not remember any kind of tickets. You you even had to. I'm trying to even remember if there was like a change machine. You know how like you would stick in in like a dollar or five dollar bill and get quarters. Um, and then some arcades had tokens. Um, I think mine was quarters, if I remember correctly. I'd have quarters. So I could either show up with quarters or I think um, – but it also, since my arcade connected to the pizza place, there was the movies, a pizza place, and then the arcade. And there was like this window cut out to the pizza place that if you needed change, they would give you give you change and stuff. I gotcha. 
But anyway, um, you, you you work in tech. You're familiar with tech. Is your fingers covered in Cheetos when you're? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's my computer and stuff at that point. But like that, it's like it's it's you know public domain and you know getting that junk all over that and then like because if he's probably the guy that's giving out quarters, like if kids want to break dollar bills and stuff, gross. You know, he's gonna be taking all that dollar bills and putting them in their cash register, all gross like and. Uh, seems like he probably fixes machines, maybe. So the machine's gonna be all gross. And plus, he gives off the super creepy vibe. So like, he's a bit of a creeper. Yeah, like if you know, he's like, "Hey, like, I got some special games in the back." It's like, "Oh, great! I'm not playing them. I'm going home." Yeah, he's he's a bit of a weirdo. So we know he's there. He's there, whether he does like either maintenance or whether he's giving out, you know, like change or tokens or something for that. So. This is a decent-sized arcade, it seems. However, I'm thinking, how many people does it take to run this arcade? Because Max goes outside when she's leaving Lucas, and we see Billy, uh, who's just... He might take over the new title of douchebag. I don't know. I don't know if you've come up with a, a nickname for him yet or not, but I, he's not a very nice guy. I don't like him at this point, um, other than when he's got his shirt off. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think it was Hairband Billy. It's kind of yeah. what the uh, winner in the clubhouse is. Yeah, that's, I, I think I'm liking it so far. But Max walks outside, and as she walks out the doors, you see, I don't know if you noticed or not, there's two guys standing outside in the same, like, type of, I guess it's a uniform that work at the arcade, the same type of uniform that this, um, or at least I, I'm i making it so, so if I say it, uh, it's just going to be uh, the truth. <laughs> but they're like two other arcade workers out there on a smoke break, and I'm like, how many arcade workers does it take <laughs> to run this arcade? How many people do you need to run this arcade? Does it really take three people? Um, anyway, it just kind of bugged me. It was this detail I noticed uh, as Max was, as she had opened the doors, and you see her coming. You see her uh, the view from the outside from Billy's car, and you see these two guys standing out there. They don't look like, they're not children. They're not kids out there smoking. They're adults. I'm like, those are arcade workers. How many arcade workers do you need? Usually you just need one person <laughs> running an arcade. That's a good catch. Yeah, I, you, you kind of said I missed them, but I was wondering if like maybe they were undercover facility people, like undercover government people. Because, oh. I mean, the guy working there didn't seem like he would be too on the nose about being like, oh, it's like, oh, I guess they hired extra help. I want to go sit in the back and eat more Cheetos and think about my date with Nancy. Ugh. I'm just saying. I just thought that was interesting. That's just something I know people are probably like, why are you even talking about that? It's not relevant at all. But it was just my rambling that I see these details and then I'm it just I'm, I'm thinking, why do you need that many arcade workers? Uh, we didn't even have anyone in our arcade. <laughs> if there was a game broken, you didn't go talk to anybody. You just <laughs> dealt with it. Um, so looking at the rest of my – we've covered everything else. So I think – that's going to do it for notes. Didn't have anything else that you want to say about that? No, I think that tidies up this episode in a, a nice underground Indiana Jones type bandana. Oh, ties it in a very nice Indiana Jones bandana. Oh, I wish they would have had enough money to just play just a little bit of his bum, 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 Yeah, that good old John Williams uh, theme. Fantastic. Oh, if you don't love Indiana Jones, I'm sorry. We can't be friends. <laughs> Anyway, that's awesome. Yeah, I think good coverage. There was so much to talk about. I feel like we could probably keep talking about so much in this episode. It was such a, just so much happened and so much was covered. And I feel, you know, we're at number five and there's only four more to go. Oh, we're getting close to the end of this season. 
I know. So I feel like things are really starting to really pick up and with moment, which I don't feel like there's been any slow moments, but there's really been a lot of great momentum, but it seems like, okay, now we're, we've, we've, we've reached the top of that roller coaster. Now we're starting to go not down in a bad way, but we're trying to like, we're, we're really picking up and the story is definitely hauling ass. So let's move on to, uh, some news from the Upside Down. Do you want to go first? Yep. Uh, so our first article comes from Variety, and it's a kind of an interview with uh, Ross and the, the Duffer Brothers. So how would Stranger Things be different if it were made 10 years ago? And Ross replies back, it's so much a product of the present that it could not have been made 10 years ago. Shows like True Detective, which is a good show, had to exist before it. The format of Netflix was the dream for us. It allowed us to make cinemata- cin- cinematic longer episodes without interruption. What scares you the most? Matt, we shared the same fears as kids, snakes and clowns. Now we also have more adult fears like television critics. <laughs> uh, Ross said that big crowds scare me. I have social anxiety. I perform the best when I'm isolated or with a few friends. How does being twins form your collaborative process? So Matt said, we've only ever worked together. All the movies we watched growing up, we watched together. In kindergarten, we tell stories with our toys. We'd set a timer for two hours because we knew that was how long a movie was. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. We still love telling stories together. We push ourselves and each other to be better. We're close enough that we're not timid around one another. We pitch so many ideas every day. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but it's great to have a safety net where hopefully between the two of us, nothing really bad will ever get through. I want to hang out with these guys so yeah. bad. They, uh, I mean, you talk about like having like good creative friends. Like You have that... like. Uh, just a brother in general, but a twin brother that shares that same passion for you. Like, you know, that's why I'm excited about with, you know, my kid when he gets older, because he's already jabbering telling stories and I love to tell stories. So we're just going to like bounce off each other. I feel sorry for my wife in like four years. Yeah. She's going to hear so many stories. She, she's going to be having that glass of wine. (laughs) And (laughs) all right, Sean, tell your story. All right, son, tell your story. Yes. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. You're, you're coming into some fun stuff, uh, happening with your little one. Yeah. I love, I, I really love these two. They have such an, a love and like, they're not very old. They're, they're young. I don't remember their exact age, but they didn't live through the eighties, but they seem to have this great understanding because they had this love of eighties movies. Like, you know, they watched them all when they were kids and were just completely obsessed and they just really seem to, to understand it and catch that vibe. And I just love them. And it, it cracks me up when they talk about their fears, kids, snakes, and clowns. Cause that's my exact fears <laughs> that I had as a child. Like they're like, Nothing else scared me except for snakes and clowns. I could I could watch and do anything else, but run into any kind of snakes and clowns, whether it's on a movie or in real life. Um, and then also, I have a social anxiety issue as well. That's <laughs> not a very I'm I'm very anxious in in front of um, crowds and stuff. So I really want to hang out with these guys. If that ever happens, I'll be a happy girl. So. Uh, Moving on, our next article is from entertainmentweekly.com. So a little bit of news here about Dustin and the Demigorgon, or or Dart, I should say. So if you're like Dustin and felt a special bond with Stranger Things 2, pet-turned-demidog, D'Artagnan, commonly referred to as Dart for short, you're in luck. Pop culture collectibles company Funko has announced plans for a Dart plush nesting doll to be available in the spring of 2018. So the rapidly growing Dart starts as a small, 
one inch polywog, then a two inch slug, and finally Dart becomes a nine inch tall demi dog, reads the product description on the website. So each sta- stage of Dart fits comfortable comfortably inside the other. So depending on your current mood for the day, you can cuddle up with a cute little polywog, or you can instead opt for the more terrifying demi dog. <laughs> So though all three forms of dart appear to be smiling like Funko, we wouldn't advocate for letting the plush doll spending too much time near your cat. Rest in peace, Muse. <laughs> I kind of feel like the demi dog is a little bit cuter than the polywog, personally. As long yeah. as it keeps its mouth shut. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It did, it doesn't show him with its mouth open. If if anyone has a chance to catch this article, they do show pictures of what it looks like, and it's actually kind of cute. Um, especially, yeah, like you said, the full-grown uh, demi-dog like we see uh, of Dart in this current episode. Um, yeah, he's kind of cute. So check it out, people. So next we have letters from the Upside Down, and one of my favorite parts is we get to um, read our listener feedback. Sean, why don't you hit this first one? All right, so our first one's from Stephanie M. Fernandez. So, well, it looks like Joyce has really gone all out with the decorating again, hasn't she? Time for another round trip aboard the crazy train. But her single-minded determination is definitely what saves Hopper in this episode, so you've got to love her for it. I also love how self-aware Will is about what he's experiencing and that he isn't hiding what's happening from his family and friends. That's a good point there. Mm -hmm. Uh, As usual, natural leader Mike is firmly on the side of the weirdo, this time by being there for Will, encouraging him and trying to keep him from losing hope. It sucks that after all Will does to help find Hopper, he has to end up basically being tortured for it. We do get another stellar performance from Noah Snap, though. Mm -hmm. So we finally find out why Jonathan and Nancy never got together after the battle (laughs) with the Demigorgon. Jonathan didn't reach out to Nancy because he was preoccupied with taking care of Will, and she gave up after a month. It was Christmas time, too. Like, it's Christmas break. I mean, give him, give him some more time than a month. Yeah. Sounds like a classic case of lack of communication to me. And once they get to Murray's place, complete with typical paranoid conspiracy theorist decor, they seem to have come to an unspoken agreement not to discuss it anymore. Not sure how they decide Murray was the person to go to with the tape, but it clearly was the right call. Yep. So Eleven finds her mother, but it's not exactly a happy reunion. Her Aunt Becky does offer her a place to live, though, and her mother seems to have some kind of power similar to Eleven's, judging by her bloody nose. Then Eleven is shown everything her mother did to try and get her back and what Dr. Brennan did to stop her efforts. Makes Eleven's backstory even more tragic. Not sure telling Max without consulting the others was a good call on Lucas's part, but the whole party is pretty fractured at this point, along with all the storylines. And Max didn't seem to completely believe him yet anyway. Love seeing Dustin basically hijack Steve after throwing some major shade (laughs) on Ted. (laughs) Should be an interesting pairing, especially since Dustin seems to be really or seems to be really taking charge. The one thing she said that we didn't really talk about uh, was uh, the ending of this episode. Yeah, we didn't really touch on that. Oh, it was. It's basically kind of like the thing. You know, mm-hmm. like when you torture the thing, like it start like freaking out and screaming. Yeah, and that's kind of the gist I got. Like it was hurting the inside of Will. Yeah, because we know he wasn't. It. I feel like I don't really still have a full comprehension of how this thing has. It's. It's not quite possessed him, but there's like a piece of it in him or something because he's obviously as soon as they start firing there um at all of the uh whatever you want to call it that's coming out like they do at the facility these things that are coming out of the upside down 
it, it totally just gets to Will. And I don't know if it's because he's in such close, close proximity to it. Like, they've been doing this for a while and he didn't feel it. But he did just become one, sort of, however you want to call it, with that shadow monster. Um, that was creepy. He pulled that off. That poor kid was in a seizure and uh, had the scariest yeah. damn look on his face ever. Um, that was really sad and heartbreaking. And I'm worried about Will. Yeah, yeah really... I don't know how he comes out of that part of it. I mean, that was... Uh... <sighs> that was horrible. And I can't imagine um, witnessing something like that. But he... Brilliant performance by Noah Schnapp. He's just... He 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 gives me goosebumps every time I, I've, I've watched him in uh, season two so far. He's doing a great job. Um, the next one is from Andrew Newton. Uh, so number one, he says, I'm a little disappointed with how Mike starts to have a more passive role in this episode. It makes a lot of sense for him to be worried about Will, but I feel we lose track of his point of view, which was such a big part of season one and still pretty affecting in the early going of season two as well. Number two, Dustin pairing up with Steve is an instantly legendary and awesome direction. <laughs> a fun fact about that is the idea for this combo was apparently only developed while they were filming episodes three and four. Oh, that's oh interesting. nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Number three, I definitely get Elle's need to go see her mother and how she was feeling hurt. But was I the only one surprised by how easily she seemed to accept putting everyone in Hawkins behind her when Becky invited to s her to stay permanently? Hmm. Number four, nice touch with Bob pulling Joyce aside, wanting her to be honest with him. He often seems goofy and oblivious, but this little detail gives some much-needed dignity, even if he does cut the conversation short by excitedly solving the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good point um, he, that he talks about in his number three about how easily she was able to except leaving everyone behind in Hawkins. But, I mean, I feel like she's not getting anywhere. I mean, she was really frustrated with Hopper because she wanted to see Mike. Yeah, I mean, she's pretty much already disassociated with everybody from Hawkins anyway. The only person she's really associated with at this point is uh, Hopper. Yeah. So it's really not – I mean, the only person she's actually leaving behind would be Hopper. Yeah. Um, and it's not – I mean, I don't know that she's really completely leaving everyone behind. I don't think that she's necessarily forgotten about them, but I think maybe – Maybe she's realizing it's not so great to go see them at this point. I know Hopper was really trying to express to her how dangerous it would be uh, for her to be out and for people to see her. And and he's right. I mean, he's right to a point uh, of, you know, what would happen. So anyway. Uh, so Steve Brown. So Mike has a calculator watch. I noticed that this episode, too. I've seen it before, but it really stood out in this episode. Oh, I didn't notice. Dang. Loved Nancy's We Only Hang Out When the World's About to End line. Dustin versus Dart, and Dustin gets Steve help when no one else answered. They ran out of paper, and Will was drawing on Christmas wrap. Oh, I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, good, good pickup. Hairband Billy, because I'm going to say something about him every time. <laughs> <laughs> and then notes, so the uh, arcade guy calls Max Road Warrior and love the, hey, Bob, hey, Jim. Yes, that was good. Yes, I noticed all of that, but definitely forgot to mention it. Really good pickups there, Steve. I loved the arcade guy, and I don't know his name, if he's even been given a name. Creeper guy, for sure, calls Max uh, Road Warrior, because we do call her Mad Max, um, Mad Max Road Warrior. Love that damn movie. <laughs> Great. Okay, so we have an email. This one is from Laura Willie Swink. Hey, Laura. So she says, wow. What an amazing episode. 
so much was revealed from the secret of Eleven's, or should we call her Jane, abduction to the secret of what is mysteriously poisoning all of Hawkins. And I think the floating debris from the Upside Down are actually spores spilling out underground and spawning the killer vines. Ooh, good call. Yeah. Wow. Billy is worse than a D. He's an abusive, racist, bully piece of crap. I really want Steve to kick his ass. So excited that Steve and Dustin are going monster hunting. Like Dustin said, there are more important things than your love life. <laughs> I forgot. I missed that. <laughs> I like that they're moving Steve's storyline beyond just him and Nancy. Yeah, good point, Laura. Yeah, I ha! really like his character now. Unfor <laughs> the bad thing is I actually like Steve now. <sighs> Here we are. We're at this moment. We're gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna come back to this moment, and I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna finish Laura's email, and we're gonna come back to that. So she says, "Ha, Jonathan blew his moment with Nancy by saying the wrong thing. You only waited a month. <laughs> What's the standard <laughs> high school wait time when pining for a boy? I feel a month was pretty generous." Dustin drops the best line of all time on fucking Ted. <laughs> Did you all notice the Goonies reference when Bob asked if Will's drawings were a pirate map? Yes, Laura, I did. Oh, I, I didn't mention that. it, but it did. No, that's did. a good call. Yes, because he goes, ooh, is this a pirate map? Yes, good call. That was definitely like back from the Goonies. Sean Astin, for anyone that doesn't know, was in the great uh, 80s movie, The Goonies. Go watch it, people. You'll thank me. Um so as he was trying to decipher the map of Hawkins, I felt we were watching a grown-up Mikey searching for one-eyed Willie's buried <laughs> treasure. Oh, Sean Astin, I love you so. Bob, better not be a spy. That's, I agree. Yeah, that's all I can say. This series just keeps getting better and better, and you two put the icing and the sprinkles on the Demogorgon with all the fun you have with each and every re recap. Love you guys. Love we gotta you be careful. Yeah, Laura, we love you. We gotta be careful. If you put too much sugar or too much sprinkles and icing, they grow like ridiculous. So then that's that's like how they get through their growing phase. And so then we get a big old demogorgon. Yeah, they're like gremlins that way. Really, <laughs> that is such a good. That is so good, Sean. I you get me every time with that. The only thing I I'm hoping it. for at some point is like Billy dies in the episode because then it would legitimately be okay for me to go. Oh my god. <laughs> We're that, that is <laughs> that is genius. I love it. Oh my god. Yeah, that was a really great email, Laura. Um, some really great insight, really great connections. I did pick up on that on my first watch and totally forgot to mention it on my and whenever I did took my notes on my second watch. There's there was so much in this episode. Holy crap. I uh, just can't pick it all up, but I love Ah, <sighs> Sean. You you love Steve. I, yeah, I mean, he's he's a very intriguing character now, and that's the and that's the good thing about like shows like this because characters can change. You know, they can start out as D's, and then they can become good guys, and you know, they kind of can become heroes. Um, and and you just kind of learn like it's you know he had that hard, rough exterior. Like he's like I'm, I gotta look good in front of my friends, and then it's like, but I really love Nancy, so I'm gonna let my softer side of Steve come out. So there he is practicing his apology and yep. um, got roses in his hand. He's ready yep. to uh, to swallow his pride. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah, what TV show was it that said, like, love makes you do stupid things? Was that this show? Hmm. Yeah. I think they said that in season okay. one, didn't they? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Good point. And, and, and nothing more true, let me tell you. 
That is for sure. We also have a voicemail from Derek O'Neill. I'm really excited to hear this one. So let's play it now. Hi, Raymond Sean. This is Derek from Ireland. I just wanted to get in contact with you about your Strange Indeed podcast for Stranger Things. Really, really been enjoying listening to the podcast Aww. right back to when you started out doing the first season of, uh, of Strange Things. Uh, really enjoy it. I love, love the show, obviously. Uh, so great to have a great podcast to go along with it. It came, across, came along at just the right time for me. I just moved countries over to Switzerland where I don't speak any of the languages that they speak over there. So I've been spending my days filling up with English speaking podcasts to kind of get me through at least listening to something that I can understand. Um, so <laughs> listening to you guys has really helped me out for the last couple of months while I've been uh, settling in to uh, my new country of uh, that I'm calling home now. Uh, so thanks so much for that. Just a little tidbit of information for you guys. I know you have two characters, two officers within the police department that you call Huey and Dewey. <laughs> One of those characters is Officer Powell, who's played by Rob Morgan. A oh. uh, little bit of trivia for you. Rob Morgan is an actor who plays Turk Barrett in the, in the Defenders Marvel oh. Netflix TV shows. Uh, he has a cameo in every series, I believe, uh, other than oh, wow. Jessica Jones. So he's appeared in Daredevil, in uh, Luke Cage, in Iron Fist, and in uh, the Defender show, and also in the Punisher recently. So, uh, so you, when you see him pop up, you know it's a, a little good luck charm for Netflix for their successful shows. Nice. So that's obviously why you got the role over in Stranger Things. So, really loving the podcast. Thanks so much, Rima and Sean, for everything you do. Oh wow! Thanks. That- That was so lovely. Thank you, Derek. Oh my gosh, your voice. Can you please call in every week, even if you don't have any specific feedback that you want to give, if you just want to call and say hi. (laughs) Just tell us what you had for lunch that day. You know, that is perfectly fine with me. I would be more than happy to hear what you had for lunch or what you did for that day (laughs) in that wonderful country that you're in. Switzerland, holy hell, that is so fantastic. I want to hear all about it, so I insist you call in every week and tell me about your tales of living uh, moving from your home country of Ireland to Switzerland, and I love, love your voice. I know you from the Patreon group, so I feel like we are really good friends already, but hearing your lovely voice um, makes me a little bit emotional. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you, Derek, for leaving that voicemail. Please do that often. And and everyone else, please, um, there's a super cool, if you have an iPhone, there's a super cool, and there might be on other phones, but I only know the iPhone. Okay, sorry. There's a really cool voice memo um, app on there that you can record your voice if you don't want to call in because sometimes the calling in gets a little muffly. Well, we don't even have a call in, right? We don't have, what am I talking about? We don't have yeah, a... Yeah, we didn't set up a number just because, like you said, if you use the voice memo and send it via email, that just makes it a bit cleaner because it uses the mic on your phone instead yeah. of being over a call. And... Um, so that- yeah, and what's even better is like if you mess up or if you say something you didn't want to say, you can just delete it and and record it again before you send it. So yeah, so if you're like, I really like this Steve character, you can go back and edit. It out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare edit that out! I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> if you try to deny your love for Steve, <laughs> Rima must have did this episode in the upside down because I would never say that I love Steve. Oh no, it's out there, buddy. <laughs> It's happening. It's out there. You can't. You can edit all you want, and I'm gonna make sure it's. It is known. <laughs> it is known. Anyway, thanks again, Derek, for that awesome email. Thank you, everyone, for your emails and leaving uh, feedback on our Facebook page. It means uh, the world to us. I swear. I lo- I get such a, a giddy feeling every time I see feedback. So thank you guys so much. Um, I love it. 
Yeah, thanks everybody. Again, I can't reiterate enough what Rima's just said. Like we love the feedback and you know, keep sending it to us. Even if it's just a little tidbit or even if it's from previous episodes. Um, if you have some for future episodes you want us to save for those episodes, we could mm-hmm. do that as well. I've done it I did it last season, so yeah, please do. <clears throat> All right, so next week we'll be covering the sixth episode from season two, titled Chapter Six, The Spy. Hmm. So the description for this episode is, Will's connection to a shadowy evil grows stronger, but no one's quite sure how to stop it. Elsewhere, Dustin and Steve forge an unlikely bond. Yay, I want to see more Dustin and Steve. <laughs> yeah, that's the oh, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> road trip, comedy, buddy cop. That's uh, everything I want in life and more. <laughs> Absolutely, they need their own spinoff show. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we are so excited for you to travel to Hawkins, Indiana with us. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange TCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Stranger TCast. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Deed and a bunch of other great podcasts like Game of Microphones at Podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Deed or any of the other great Podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcast. And make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Link. The Language of Bromance comes out every Sunday. Check it out. And just like this show episode, both Language of Bromance and Strange Indeed are now on Spotify. Woohoo! We made the big time, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And also remember, to, if you want to help out our show, one way to do that is to check out our sponsor, Freshly. Uh, So to go to to Freshly.com and use their promo code STRANGERTHINGS, or you can go to Freshly.com slash STRANGERTHINGS. To save $40 on your first two weeks of deliveries. And remember, shipping is always free. All right, that's our show. Episode 13, Chapter 5, Dig Dug. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Holly Robin Spiker is strange indeed. Hey, Jim.